talking about road trips. Last week, we uh, talked about Acts 13 being just this major shift time for the church. God had told them to go, and they had stayed. God said, I want you to go, and they stayed in Jerusalem. And then in 13, boom, it says they were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. And I said that, you know, I just had this picture in my head. Every time I read it, I still have it in my head, that verse, Acts 13, 4, sent on their way by the Spirit, of them just being shot out like out of a cannon by God into His will to do His will and to, just to live fully, just to have this fullness of life. And so we talked about God being a God of movement. That we should not be surprised when God moves us. That doesn't mean we make a physical move from one location to another, but it could mean. But it means that God changes us and He transforms us. That's what God does in our world. God is a God of movement. I had no idea that God was going to put an exclamation point on that whole deal by giving us an earthquake this past week. Did, how did you all survive the earthquake of 2010? Was that, is that all right? Did, did anybody wake up? Did anybody like wake up at 5.04 in the morning when it rumbled through? Anybody? Like a couple of you did. Wow, really? You guys are sound sleepers. So that's that's great, man. I woke right up. There was a loud rumble, and all of a sudden the bed went woof, back and forth. So that was interesting. Okay. Um, here's the thing. We talked about last week this getting shot out by God, that, that there was four things that we see clearly going on in the beginning of Acts chapter 13. There was fasting, and there was worshiping, there was praying, and then there was going. And here's what I want to say, because a number of you uh, had said to me that you had fasted this past week. I had fasted this past week. And here's what I, here's what I want you to know. I, I, I meant to say it last week, and I forgot to do it. So let me say this now. Sometimes we think, okay, I'm going to fast, and we get all excited, and there's going to be you know, some kind of victory over what we're fasting about. But you need to know that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, right on the heels of the fasting comes opposition. So it doesn't go fasting victory, it goes fasting opposition, and then maybe later on, here comes the victory, like the caboose coming through the station, right? We see that in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus fasts, and then what, what does he get hit with next? The devil. Matthew chapter 4, temptation, the devil fights it, major opposition, clings to the Bible, and then the victory comes later. We see that here, Acts 13. They're fasting, they go out, they have some victory, but boy, they have a huge amount of opposition. So, just buyer beware, not discouraging you from fasting. We should fast. But I just want you to know that sometimes there could be some opposition. And so I want to talk a little bit about some of the opposition they faced here. Before I do that, since we're talking about road trips, has anybody ever had like a road trip from hell? Has anybody had just like a really bad road trip where things went wrong? Anybody here? Things just like you went on a road trip and things went bad. I want to tell you briefly about my road trip. It was during the summer of OJ. I'll never forget the summer of OJ. It's 94. We, we, went, we went down to Nags Head. We rented a value house off of the website. You know what a value house is. You know, it's one, it's one of the cheapest ones off the website. We stayed back on the sound side. Love the sound. We stayed in this inexpensive home. So we got there, and this is the first trip that we took with a child. This is our first child. Our son was six months old. I was clueless to how much equipment it takes to take a trip with a child. So I'm standing outside of my little Honda Accord, right? And I couldn't fit it all in. I'm just standing there thinking, there is no room. I mean, I would, I'd have to put it on the driver's seat. So we had to borrow a car at the last minute just to get all the stuff in there. So we get to the place. It's like 105 degrees down in Nags Head. It is really hot. And I had to take 20 trips up the steps back and forth to get all that equipment in there. So the only thing I was looking forward to once those 20 trips were over was what? Air conditioning. Sit down in the air conditioning. 
Does the air conditioner work? No, it's broken. That's a value house. Air conditioner's broken. Call the rent agency. Hey, air conditioner doesn't work. We'll get somebody out right away. They call back an hour later. It says, nobody's coming. So they said, somebody's going to come tomorrow. So we sleep. It's like sleeping in the fires of hell, right? It was so hot inside of that house. It was unbelievable. So uh, they call back the next day. He says, you know what? We can't get anybody there today either. And I said, oh, no, this is, this is really bad news. They said, we will have somebody there tomorrow. They call back the next day. He says, we can't get anybody there today either. We're going to have to move you out of the house. I said, oh, my God. 20 trips down, get all the stuff. Go to the next, next house. Had more steps than the first house. 20 trips up, more steps. We get there. It's a nicer house. It's no longer a value house. It's a nice house that we're in. I said, this is great. We're there for two days. I'm watching OJ and the Bronco go down the freeway, right? I'll never forget it, right? So that whole thing. Then they called back and said, your original house is now ready. You have to move back. I'm thinking, man, I mean, this is like a moving party. It's like a moving vacation. That's all I've done on this vacation is move. So go back to their house, move in. Air conditioner works. Everything's great. Next morning, 6 a.m. in the morning, the whole house starts shaking, and it's not an earthquake. They're repairing a retaining wall right next to the house. I call the rental agency. They're closed. They're not open, right? 6 o'clock in the morning. I start leaving messages. Finally, 9 o'clock, they call me back, and they say, you know what? They're repairing a retaining wall right next to the house. And I said, I know that. I know they're repairing the retaining wall. Can you make them stop? I'll call you back in 10 minutes. They call back in 10 minutes. Can't make it stop. They said, look, we want you to come over to the range. We want to give you your check back, and we don't ever want to see you again. So that was, uh, that was our story, right? So they had some oppositions here in Acts chapter 13. I sprinkled in a few of their victories, but some of their oppositions, if you don't have a bulletin, it should come up on this screen right here. Here's what happened. The little missionary team. After they preached from town to town across the entire island until they finally reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor of Sergius Paulus, a man of considerable insight and understanding. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Saul and Barnabas said. He was trying to turn the governor away from the Christian faith. Now Paul and those with him left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. Now watch what happens next. There John Mark left them. Why is that a big deal? We've had opposition from without. We've got this bar Jesus guy who's kicking up his heels, trying to turn them away and get them to leave town and tell them to shut up. So that's opposition from without. Now we have internal opposition. We have dissension within. John Mark was a part of their team. And there's all kinds of speculation as why he up and just left them. And this caused a major problem later on because Paul and Barnabas get in a fight about this a couple chapters later and they part ways. So this is a big deal. John Mark, this guy who leaves them, is Barnabas' cousin. And some people thought that he had a major problem because there was a change in leadership. Barnabas was the leader, now Paul's the leader. Some people say, no, he just has a major problem because now they're, they're moving out of Jerusalem, they've moved to Antioch, and now they're taking the message of Jesus Christ to all kinds of people. And the change, whatever it was, caused it. This simple change caused him to freak out and get upset. Some people have a problem with change. You probably don't know anybody like that. I do. So John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. And the following week, almost the entire city turns out to hear them preach the word of God. When the Jewish leaders saw the crowds, they were jealous. And so they slandered Paul and urged, argued against whatever he said. 
Then the Jewish leaders stirred up both the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas, and they ran them out of town. In Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went together to the synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who spurned God's message stirred up distrust among the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas, saying all sorts of evil about them. But the people of the city were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. A mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. So things are starting to get very serious. Now some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and turned the crowds into a murderous mob. They stoned Paul. Wow. Now that's stoning. This is the kind of stoning that goes on uh, you know, there's a stoning that happens where you feel good, then you feel bad later. This is the kind of stoning that, like, you feel really bad, like, right away, and then you never feel anything again. They stone Paul. They drag him out of the city, apparently dead. But as the believer stood around him, he got up and went back into the city. Whoa. What is with it? He's like the Energizer Bunny. I mean, how many people just, you know, survive a stoning? This guy not only survives it, he treks right back into the city that he came from. And I'm wondering what is driving him. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Great victories, great opposition. What does all that have to say about our personal journeys with Jesus Christ? That's what we want to focus on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us to your word. Help us to understand. Send a message to us today, God. Open our eyes. Help us to hear whatever it is. We all, God, we're trekking down the path here. And it's clear from your word you want us to have this abundant life. Some of us are living it. Some of us want to live it. Or some of us are struggling with how to find it. Whatever, God, whatever the message is for each one of us today, help us to hear that from you. In Christ's name. Amen. Church. Why church? Why does the church exist? Some people go to church because they've always gone to church. It's just what they do. I'll talk to some people. Some, I've gone to church all my life. I'll talk to other people. Some, I say, you know, why do you go to church? Well, that's what I've always done. That's why I go to church. Some people go to church because they feel guilty if they don't go to church. Some people go to church because church makes them feel good. Some people go to church to get a date. Some people go to church to make friends. Some people go to church to learn about the Bible. My question is this. Why does church exist? Is it for a myriad of reasons? Like those things I mentioned, they're not bad reasons to go to church. Is it for a myriad of reasons why church exists? Or is there one driving force behind the existence of the Christian church? Why does the church exist? And does the purpose of the church have anything whatsoever to do with your purpose for life from my purpose for life? To me, living an abundant life in God, sent forth by the Holy Spirit, and you living that same kind of life. Is there any kind of connection between the two? I think there is. I have said this repeatedly. I continue to be inspired and intrigued by Acts 13.4. They were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. And I've said to myself, I want to be sent on my way by the Holy Spirit because to me what it's trying to describe and then the rest of the story in the book of Acts describes a situation where people are really living this abundant life that Jesus Christ talked about. In the context of this big story, this major shift, Paul's first recorded sermon 
he tells this huge picture, this macro big story picture about God's work in the world and God's purpose in the world. And in the midst of that, all of a sudden, he drills down to one single person and he says this, Acts 13, 36. For when David had served God's purpose. Now, why does he do that? Why is he talking about this huge deal about God working in the world and through history? He goes all the way back 2,000 years in time, which is 4,000 years from now. It was way back in time. He's talking big picture stuff, massive grand story. And all of a sudden he says, Zoop. he goes down to one person, person living with a life of purpose before God. Why does he do that? I think he's doing that here because we need to understand the big picture in order for us to understand our individual picture. Does that make sense? We need to understand the grand scheme of what God is doing in this world, which is what Paul describes in his, his whole first recorded sermon. We have to understand the big picture in order for us to understand our individual picture of what God wants to do in our lives. And once we understand the big picture of what God is just doing, then we have a much better shot at each one of us understand what God wants to do in our lives. The picture just begins to come together. In Paul's day, philosophers felt this. They felt that life was just an endless cycle and series of events, that there was no really meaning to life. You lived, you died, boom, boom, nothing really changes. It just kind of goes over and over again. That philosophy is still in existence today. But God describes something completely different, and in Paul's first recorded sermon, he painstakingly goes through the history of Israel, starting all the way back from Abraham, and he highlights all these historical events and then all of these prophecies about Jesus Christ coming, and he's trying to make a point that there is a purpose to life, and there is a purpose for each one of our lives as well. Now, I believe that the purpose of the church and God's purpose in this world is intertwined with our purpose for living also. And that purpose is redemption. What is so clear from Acts 13 and all the rest of the Bible is God's major purpose, the driving force of God, the whole reason why Jesus Christ came to this planet in the first place is redemption, salvation. It's totally clear. Second Peter 3.9. God wants every single person to be saved. A group of people asked Jesus, Luke 19, this is, why are you here? He says, I am here on a search and rescue mission. I have come to seek and save everybody who is lost. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus Christ, his son, that all who believe in him would not perish, but receive eternal life. Acts chapter 13 makes it really clear right here in the midst of this story where he's given this macro story huge story about what God is doing in the world and about salvation. He says this, Acts 13, 47, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles. And notice this part. That you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So the point is clear that what God is doing in this world, number one thing, it's a no, numero uno up top, it's about redemption, it's about salvation. Why does the church exist? A church exists because it's about redemption and it's about salvation. So what I'm saying to you, what I'm suggesting to you is this, is that you and I are going to figure out what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives, what God wants to do, God's will, all that good stuff that we talk about a lot, me finding purpose and meaning and whoosh, living the life God, that if salvation and redemption aren't on our radar screens, 
it's going to be very, very difficult, if not virtually impossible, for us to live out that life and for us to be sent on our way by the Holy Spirit. That salvation and redemption has to absolutely be on our radar screens in order for us to figure that out. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about being an evangelist. Now, you all have seen evangelists, whether they're on TV or they're on a street corner, right? And here's my deal. Growing up in church, every now and then we'd have these campaigns. We'd go out, we'd hand out tracts on the corner. I never stood on the corner with the turn or burn thing. I just, it's not my style. But we would go and sometimes we'd go door to door. Now, I'm the guy walking up the sidewalk, going to the front door to knock on the house, and I'm praying all the way up the sidewalk, oh, Jesus, please, do not let anybody be home. Could you just, could the house just please possibly be empty? Because, you know, I, I, I'm totally uncomfortable with that. I mean, that freaks me out. Do you know Jesus? I, mean, I just can't. I just, you know, it's just not working. For some of you, it works. For some of you, that's just the way you're wired. I've seen some people do it beautifully. And boy, I've seen some people do it horribly, horribly, horribly. You know anybody like that? Do you know anybody who you would just wish they would stop telling people they're a Christian? Is it, do you know anybody? Man, I got a guy. I am so close to just telling him, man, could you just shut up? Just, just tell the people you're a Satanist or something like that because it's just working a lot better if you would do that. Anyway, I'm digressing for a moment. Here's the deal. What God is about is about redemption. And if I'm trying to figure out, and it has not always been in, in, on my radar screen at all, the redemption thing. Salvation, it hasn't. That's what God is about. And if I am going to figure out what God wants to do in my life, I have got to go with the flow of what God is about. Now, let me try to describe it this way. You all know snowboarding? Snowboarding, going down a mountain with a little board. Anybody seen that? Anybody in the Olympics, the snowboarding thing? All right. I tried it 20 years ago. I grew up surfing. I grew up skateboarding. I figured I'll snowboard. I'll hop on the board, go down the mountain. It shouldn't be that hard. I don't think I'd be great, but I'll be able to stand up. Boy, was I wrong. I believe after that first time of snowboarding that the devil himself created snowboarding. Because, you know, normally when, you, when you're skiing or doing something like that and you're really not moving, you just kind of fall. You're just like, boop, you fall, boop. You know, it's not a big deal. It's not like wide world of sports where you're crashing off the big, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's a gentle fall. It wasn't that way for me. Even though I was just standing there on the snowboard, it was as if, God was reaching down out of heaven, grabbing me by the back of my head and forcing my face as far hard as he could right into the snow. I mean, it was just like, bam, bam. And I did that about 30 times. And finally, I took the dumb board off and I took it back and I said, you could just burn this thing as far as I'm concerned. This is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. So my daughter wanted to snowboard this past year. So I decided to give it a shot again. Now, here's the thing. It turned out okay, but I want to talk to you about standing up on the board, if I can, for a second. Because that is like, that is huge. How do you stand up after you've gotten in this fetal position or something, like you're trying to give birth to a baby because you've got the board all stuck up and you're trying to strap it on, you're completely out of wind by the time you just get the board on. How do you actually stand up? So you're on the slope of a mountain, right? Slope of a mountain, slope's going down. And I thought I'll stand facing out to the mountain and I'll push myself up. Well, that's very hard because I'm fighting against the mountain and my weight is all wrong. And so I'm just working. And finally, I got up once or twice. But I was exhausted. I was ready to give it up. And then a thought hit me. What if I turned around? What if I used the slope of the mountain? I just kind of pushed off. And so I tried it. And presto, bang, I stood right up. Here's the thing what I want you to know. The slope of God's mountain is toward redemption. 
you can't fight that slope and that slope is never changing. God is all about the salvation of all of humanity. That's just who God is and that's not changing. Now you can go with that flow, you can go with the slope of the mountain, or you can just try to figure out God's will for your life doing your own thing. But what I have found is so much easier in my own life is if I just go with the slope of the mountain. So here's the question. Maybe you're like me. And you don't want to hand out tracts and you don't want to stand on a corner and you want to confront people. Do you know Jesus? Maybe that just freaks you out. Maybe you're like me. But here's my question. We've been talking about fasting and praying. When's the last time you fasted for somebody to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? When's the last time you prayed about somebody knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? So maybe you're like me and you're just totally uncomfortable with confronting people and that's not you. How many times in my life, is that really on my radar screen? Am I going with the slope of the mountain? Because once I get the big picture right of what God is doing in the world, my individual picture just starts to take shape so much quicker. Today is communion. And so those of you who are going to help us commune, you can just come on forward. I want to say just two brief things about communion really quick, okay? Here's the thing. 1 Corinthians chapters 10 and 11 tell us three things. I only want to talk about two. The first one is this. When you take communion, you should examine yourself. The second thing is, is when you take communion, you're proclaiming the Lord's death. And the third thing is, when you take communion, you're participating with the work of Jesus Christ in this world. I want to talk about one, and I want to talk about number three. The first one is this, examination. So when we take communion, we're examining our own lives. So we can examine in a whole myriad of ways. Like, you know, maybe there's something... Oh, course there's always something that i need to talk to god and ask forgiveness for it's not like i can just charge up and say hey man i'm just i'm clean i got no problems in my life i always got a problem in my life i can guarantee it so i examine myself and i talk to god about whatever it is that needs to be cleaned up and cleared up and ask for god's forgiveness but another examination is this Maybe, maybe you've never crossed the line of faith and putting your faith in jesus christ maybe you've never got square with that Maybe you never accepted Christ as Savior as yourself. Today is a great day to do that, to cross that line of faith. Or maybe you're like me, and salvation, redemption isn't on your radar screen. You're like, well, I'll leave that to other people. I'm just trying to be a good person, go to church and live my life. You know, leave me alone. All right. So is that on your radar screen? As you examine your own life, are you concerned about what God is most concerned about? Are you concerned about what God is most concerned about? examine your life the last thing is participation the bible says that we take communion that we are participating in the work of christ and now i've got to think about this as i take communion today am i really participating in the work of christ like jesus christ he's got the number one thing he does he does all kinds of things in this world but there's no one number one thing that's above everything else it's redemption he's working towards that am i in any way whatsoever participating with what jesus christ is doing in this world and that's salvation. Am I praying about it? Am I concerned about it? Am I talking to God about it? Am I fasting about it? Would I even dream of, like, maybe I might be able to work up the energy and the courage to fast so that God would answer one of my prayer requests, but would I ever fast so that somebody else might come to saving faith in Jesus Christ? Where am I? Am I participating? And those are the things I want you to think about today as we take communion. Communion's open for everybody. In a moment, we're going to turn out the lights and the music team's going to play. I'm going to pray 
And what I really like you to do is just think about that in communion time. Think about where you are and what God is saying to you because what is so very clear from Scripture is God has a purpose for every single one of our lives. How is that working for you in going about discerning what that is? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God, so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you make it clear because there's been so many times in our lives together in this room that we've wondered, boy, is this all there is? Is it an endless cycle? But God, you make it really clear. There is a purpose. There is a meaning. There is something that you're doing in this world and there's something you want to do in our lives. So Jesus, I thank you that you came, that you allowed your body to be broken, your blood to be shed. Lord, I pray that as we eat this bread and drink this cup, that you would help us in this examination effort here. You would help us to understand what it is that you're saying to us. And that God, that for those of us who have been participating in what you're doing in this world, help us to continue on. For those of us who have just been kind of standing on the sidelines saying, I'm just not so sure I want to participate in that, help us, God, to come to a place in our relationship with you, that it is least on our radar screens because it's definitely in the center of yours. Father, I ask that you would bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of the cup for your honor and your glory. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. In your holy name, amen.